If you're not a people person, don't do this. Especially if you're going to be an active investor. Like if you're an active investor, you, you're dealing with a lot of personalities. And if you don't like to deal with it, like don't do it. This is not for you, right? Even you know, become a limited partner, right? Become a passive partner, right? You're still in investment deals in real estate, but you're not dealing with personalities and people and tenants and all that stuff. That's, you can still do that. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Guido Nunez. Guido is a very experienced real estate investor with hundreds of apartment units under his belt. Today, we're digging into his strategies for locating and managing D-class apartment assets. He invests in apartments in California, Arizona, and soon to be Texas. And today we dig into specifically the asset type that he invests in that a lot of investors, myself included, are kind of afraid of, the D-class apartment complex. We dig into what does it take to find those opportunities? What does it take to evaluate them? And how does he engage in the process of managing and improving his D-class apartment properties? A lot of great knowledge in this one. He's got a wealth of experience in real estate investing and shares quite a bit with us today. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Now, let's get with Guido. Guido, thanks for joining us today. For our listeners out there, can you tell us about what your portfolio looks like today and where you are investing? Yeah, thanks for having me, Taylor. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'm in California, Arizona. We're trying to get into Texas. Great market. So I'm in a little bit over 150 units. I was around 200. We sold one of our assets and we're looking for another one right now. So yeah, it's just we're excited about multifamily market and, and what that can produce in terms of wealth and we're just continuing. Absolutely. So today I'd love to dig into different apartment asset classes, A, B, C, and D, how you think about them and how you manage each one of those types of apartments differently and how you would target those types of acquisitions. So can you tell us first which you play in, which sandboxes you play in, B, C, and or D? Yeah, so mostly in the C, I started in the D class. We just got, we just acquired a B. So that that's kind of new and, and it's been a lot easier in terms of managing that asset, although it's more expensive to buy that type of asset. But for the most part, you know, I've been in C. That's kind of been my experience. I haven't been in A. So when you think about really determining for your acquisitions, whether a particular apartment complex falls under B, C, or D, what thought processes go through your head? What things do you look at in terms of metrics to determine whether it's B, C, or D? How do you make that analysis? That's a great question. So when I started looking at the properties, I started thinking, okay, is this a D property in a D neighborhood or is it a B property in an A neighborhood? So that's kind of the first things they start doing. And, and then I just start looking at the product itself. You know, what, what can I do 
to take it to the next level. How much capital is that going to take and how much value is it going to return? So I started making that kind of analysis. And obviously we ensured managing them specifically, then what goes into them is very different, right? So in a D-class, you're obviously not going to be putting a lot of like luxury and amenities or upgrades. It's really just about cleaning it, cleaning the asset up, making sure that it's lighted, security is there, and and that the residents are just kind of, you know, enjoying where, where they live, right? It's more basic as opposed to a B-class where there you're going to be looking, can I add a dog park or can I put nicer amenities that there better be a pool there? Those are the kind of things that you got to like, you know, look at. We start analyzing these properties. How do you think about the age of the property when doing this analysis of its class? Yeah. So I've done D properties built in the, in the teens. Definitely something to consider, not only in your time and, and, and your team, but in the CapEx that you're going to be having to put in the product. You know, today, I, I typically don't want to do anything that is not 70s, vintage, or, or you know, older, I guess, or younger, how you would say, 70s and up, right? I, I try to stay away from the ages of, you know, below that. The exceptions are, though, if I live locally, then I'll sort of look for something a little bit older. I'm okay with that because I'm local. I'm able to look at that asset, manage it better with my property manager. And then I come up with different ideas, you know, because I'm there boots on the ground myself. So I kind of know what I'm doing. It just depends. I think for investors who do this themselves and if they're new, if you're going to take a risk, you know, take the risk locally better, learn it before you go out of state and implement it. Absolutely. So local to you is in... California. And to me, the idea of owning a D-class property in a very tenant-friendly state is frankly terrifying, yeah. <laughs> but you've, you've worked through that problem. Yeah. So you're local, that's great. But beyond that, what other considerations do you have when buying a D-class property in a relatively tenant-friendly state? Yeah. So California as a state is a like very tenant friendly, but what you're going to find in California is that certain districts or counties are more friendly than others. So for example, and we were talking a little bit about this for the podcast started is like, I won't invest in LA, what we call LA proper, Los Angeles proper. And that's because the, uh, the ordinances that are there are really, really stringent for owners versus Orange County which is, you know, different. And even in Orange County, there are cities there that are more stringent th than others, right? Without wanting a name or call it a city. So if you're going to be investing in California or a state kind of like California, that's tenant, you know, friendly, look at what the laws are. Cal the state laws may be different from the county laws that may be different from an actual, you know, incorporated city. And you may find some leeway somewhere in these different areas and districts and counties. And that's what you want to do because California has a great appreciation track record. And I tell everybody all the time, because when they say California, you're crazy. You know, I say California is one of the most dense states in the whole union. And because of that, you're always going to be in demand for your product, right? And you just got to figure out how you're going to make that work, right? And, and so I've kind of realize the places that I don't want to invest in and the places that, that make sense to invest in, in California. 
So let's talk business plans for a D-class asset in California. Yeah. For, so for example, I invest in B-class in Texas as a value-add strategies. Yeah. Typically, you go in, buy the property, do non-renewal of leases, start renovating units, and move on and sell it in a few years. But D-class property in California, are you still using a value-add strategy and fixing up vacant units? Or what's the plan once you've acquired your property? Yeah. What I do... Plan number one is basically secure the property. And that means I've got to clean the property up. I've got to make sure that the lighting's all fixed. It sounds like real like simple stuff, but you'd be surprised how many like D-class properties have broken light, exterior lights. And it's dark, right? And, and that attracts crime. Tenants are really happy. They really don't want to come out. And they've gotten to know that, you know, the ownership, they do defer maintenance, right? They don't care. That's kind of been the thinking. And now one of the things that you want to do in these properties is, you know, add the security component, right? Because who doesn't want to, who wants to live in a crime filled area that they're scared of, right? No, no one does that. Even, even lower income, right? So that's the first thing that we do is make sure the lights are on, the security's there, the gates are locking. We talk to all the tenants about what it is that we're doing. We, we definitely want to be respectful so that they understand that we're not coming in like being, you know, bullies or anything like that. Like we're all trying to just secure our home, right? That's their home. And and yes, we, we own the building, but it's it's home to everybody, right? So job one for us in any D class properties is to make sure that we create an environment that is secure for everybody. And that includes kind of spotting out like what is the troublemakers and the rifts or rafts and implementing new policies, tenant, you know, house rules to make sure that everybody's following them. And if they don't, well, that's a different discussion, right? But all in all, that right there is going to help us, you know, adding, creating value because then you can start raising rents, you know, within limits, right? Because you're still in a deep property. And then you go to the next step, right? And deep properties, then we're not going to be doing pet parks or anything like that. But, you know, we, we did a project where we... We fixed up the center courtyard, right? We added, you know, permanent picnic tables and benches, the ones made out of stone, not the cheap ones, umbrellas, made it look nice. And, and that alone created just an atmosphere of community. People just loved it. So we got credit for that. Okay. One of the things we hear when talking D-class properties, especially in what you might call a D-class neighborhood, is that it can be very difficult to find property managers that are willing to go to that part of town to, for want of a better phrase, but that's what, what folks will say. What has been your experience there as far as finding service providers like property managers or maintenance people so that they'll go to the property once you've acquired? Yeah, I like that question. So one of the things that I always tell people is like, if you're not a people person, don't do this, right? Especially if you're going to be an active investor, like if you're an active investor, you, you're dealing with a lot of personalities. And if you don't like to deal with it, like don't do it. This is not for you, right? Even you know, become a limited partner, right? Become a passive partner, right? You're still in investment deals in real estate, but you're not dealing with personalities and people and tenants and all that stuff. That's, you could still do that. So what I've always done is every time I'm in the market around the properties, I'm always talking to whoever I see. Right. So if I see a contractor, a guy holding a, ba a handyman bag across the street next to me, 
or I run into someone that says property manager on it, a truck, a pickup, I'm always walking up to them. I'm talking to them, putting them in my digital Rolodex, and suddenly I have new contacts. So every time I need somebody, I'm probably like two or three contacts away from finding the person that I need. And, you know, when you think about, you know, this person is the one that go in that community, right? You're talking to people who are in that community, right? You're over that piece. I don't want to go to that community because they're already working on that community, right? That is what I would say. Okay. Interesting. So we've touched on the neighborhood slash community yeah. aspects of investing in D-class properties in, you know, you'd mentioned earlier D-class quote unquote neighborhoods, yeah. but you know, how do you analyze the neighborhood side of things? Are you looking for D-class properties in D-neighborhoods? Are you targeting a bit higher in what you might call a C-class neighborhood? How do you approach that neighborhood analysis of the process? Yeah, it just, it really depends. So I, I know California pretty well, you know, grew up here, live here. So I kind of know the neighborhoods. I could already tell you what is a C, B, A class. But typically you'll see the, the cap rates or the, the, the pricing of the building kind of tell you what class it is. Once you go in the properties, you'll kind of already see the neighborhood demographics or the, the quality of, of the area is going to also tell you that it's, it's a D class versus a C class. You can look at also different type of data points like crime rates that also tell you that certain areas are not as good. But, you know, typically when I'm buying something out of state that I don't know, you know, what I'm getting myself into, you know, I'll pull down like a neighborhood scout report. And that's a website that you can go in there. You can get a monthly subscription or per report, but that tells me everything, right? It tells me demographic, population, crime rate, schools, whether it's a one versus a 10. So obviously if it's a school that is a two and not a 10, 10 being the best, the two tells me it's in a rough area. And the great thing about Scout, Scouting Report, it gives you a zero to 100, 100 being kind of an A overall grade, right? So when I start seeing properties that are a 50, of this compiled metric, then I suddenly know I'm probably in a D neighborhood. So that's kind of what I do. Okay. Yeah. How about, so in the D class property space, we've touched on age of the property, a few other things, but are there any particular red flags that would stand out to you in a D or a C class property that say, you know, if not for this one thing, I would buy this, but this red flag to me makes it a no any deal killers like that that's yeah they're always deal killers like i i have been in it's hard to describe it i've been to properties where the property isn't is so run down and the neighborhood is so run down and it just looks like every single owner on that property just really doesn't care they're just cash rolling it and they're not gonna it's not gonna get better right so I w what I would tell you is the big red flag for me is if a deep property is somewhere where I don't see a path of any type of growth, like that's not for me because it, it's not only going to be a D today, it's, it's probably going to be worse than a D, you know, in the future, or, or it's going to be the same, you know, tomorrow there, there's no, nothing that I can do to add or help, you know, 
the the property. And so those are the kind of ones that I just won't do. I mean, I like the properties. I always tell investors that that is the, a good way to get into multifamily investing because, you know, the, the pricing of those type of properties, you know, you can buy a C-class property for probably a third of what an A-class. I'm being generous at that. So you mentioned earlier about partnering on deals. You partner with others out of state, potentially in-state. How do you approach the process of finding partners, vetting them to make sure that they're going to, you know, behave in everybody's interest and, you know, generally be good people before you do a deal with them? What's your process? So I, I, for me, my standard rule of thumb is I have to know a partner for about a year. And that means that I'm talking to them, not like I'm talking to them all the time, but you know, I've hung out with them. We've gone to lunch. We've had a drink. We've talked, we've conversed, you know, before I do a deal with them. And I think it's important, you know, because you have to know if you can get along with them. And I think also for, you know, investors, especially beginning investors, this is another way to how to get into the business is, you know, find partners that, that have the experience, they know how to do it, or they have the capital to, to buy something and then everyone kind of balances your skill. Right. But I've seen a lot of, you know, partnerships that, you know, go awry. It's a great day one, but in, you know, year two, like you just can't wait to get out of it. And and that's a part that you want to make sure that you're vetting properly. Right. And, you know, today, you know, my partners in, in, in my properties, like I get along with them. Right. And, and that's what you want. And that's because I've known them. We've hung out and, and, and that's what you want. Right. And your partners. So there are a lot of ways that we can meet potential partners. Has there been any particular way of making those initial connections that has been the most fruitful for you, a particular strategy for meeting the right people to do business with? Yeah. I, I'll, I'll give you like, the best advice, right? And and it's as simple as get out there, right? Because I, I mean, I meet people that say they want to get in it, but you know, like, are you really getting out, right? So I've met partners in meetups, you know, I met partners in conferences, you know, I met partners, one of my partners was, I met him in social media in one of our groups, right? So you just got to get out there. And that's really what it comes down to. If you don't get out there, you're not going to meet your future partner. That is definitely true, getting out there. So the big topic for the last year and a half or so has been rising interest rates and higher interest rates than we've seen for quite a while. In addition to that, construction and rehab costs are incredibly high today and don't show signs of coming down, at least so far. How have those two things impacted your strategy? So on the financing side, before it was easy, you were going to do a three or five year arm and it was going to be a beautiful 4% and life went on. You know, now I'm looking for more creative solutions, right? Can we have an 18 month IO period? Maybe it's a three year variable so we can exit because rates are going to come down. Maybe we do bridge and and, and versus banking. So I am now talking to multiple different mortgage brokers to see what type of product can help us. And I'm finding a lot now that none, nothing's going to help us, right? Because we can't come to terms with 
the price. And if you can't come to terms with price, like it's a non-starter. So yeah, I wish I had the perfect answer for that one, but it's it's a difficult environment right now. In terms of contractors, I think that one's a little bit easier. It just means that I got to work a little harder to find someone that can work within our budget. And that's the piece that when I talk to contractors on, on renos, I, you know, I try to first see, you know, what they're going to offer and then say, well, that doesn't fit our budget and see what we, how we can work within that. So that's been a little bit easier. I mean, you can always decide not to do like we, instead of doing standard planks, we decided to do stick on planks, which is cheaper for C-class properties. And so we, we, you could always make those decisions a little bit more easier, but definitely the financing one, that is one that has been really difficult for everybody. So are you finding that, are there any like cracks in the dam, if you will, with the sellers being willing to come down or are they mostly still holding strong at higher prices? Yeah, great question. So I, I think if we were talking six months ago, everyone was holding tight. I think now I'm starting to see cracks, you know, in the dam where sellers are now becoming more flexible. Unfortunately, because rates have crept up so much higher, buyers are now going even further back. And so even as sellers are coming down their prices and they kind of have to because some of them have their loans being called because rates went up. Like we've had to take even further steps back, but I'm seeing more cracks and I'm seeing more pri whisper pricing go lower, which is surprising, you know, because we've been in that high value environment for such a long time. I don't know. I, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen next three, four, five, six months with, with all this bridge landing that's supposed to be coming due. I don't know. I wish I knew. But, you know, from what I understand is there's going to be more properties because of sellers needing to get out of deals, you know, and I'm seeing that a little bit now. So where would you say you stand on the scale of from optimism to pessimism? Where are you on that? gauge for for multifamily or for multifamily oh i'm bullish yeah i'm bullish you you know when you start breaking down like needs and wants you know like we exist in an, a property type and investment type behind food and water right and people have to live somewhere and so i'm bullish because people are always going to need a place to live we have a shortage of housing in in the u.s and People are always going to need a place, you know, to sleep. And, and that's a, the investment, you know, thesis that, that we're under, right? So I'm very bullish on it. Now, it, it's not a blanket bullishness, right? There are markets where I won't invest in, right? And there are markets where I really want to get in, you know, in, right? I really want to get in Arizona. We are there. I really want to get in Texas. Great market. We'll, we will land there. And there are other markets where I'll tell you I probably won't go there. Interesting. Okay. Where won't you go? I, feel like I, I need to ask before we move <laughs> yeah, on. I'm going to make everyone hate me from there now. Uh, you know, I probably won't go to Detroit. You know, investors, some investors do well. I, I'm assuming it's just not for me. Fair enough. Well, sorry to uh, Detroit yeah. listeners. I know we have some folks. <laughs> you know, and it's not nothing, nothing wrong with the people. It's just the population has been 
significantly in decline and there's still a lot of housing there. So there you have more supply than demand and it's basic economics. You know, your rental uh, rates are going to go down and that is the lifeblood of the value add, right? Yeah, no, that's 100%. We start with supply and demand, the economic yeah. factors that influence the demand for our product yeah. and whether it's in oversupply or exactly. undersupply. Exactly. Awesome. Well, such great knowledge today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Guido, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yeah, I hope so. Great. Yeah. First one, what is your number one book recommendation? Let me give you two. So I know you said number sure. one. <laughs> But they're in different classes, right? So the first one is if you want if you want to enrich yourself with knowledge of investing, I highly recommend Cash Flow Quadrants by Robert Kiyosaki. It's a great, it's the one that game changed the way I think, and and I love it. I, I can't tell you how much I recommend that. The other book from a mindset perspective, because if you don't have the right mindset, none of this other stuff is gonna work. Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. That one right there just changed the way that I just saw things. And once I put that new mindset together with a knowledge base of wealth building, that is really what motivated me to keep going. I love it. Question number two, who or what inspires you? You know, I'm going to steal this from an interview that I saw with Matthew McConaughey. Not to compare myself to him, he's leaps and bounds. He, he is who he is, but I loved what he said that his hero was, is him 10 years from now. And 10 years from now, his hero is himself 10 years in the future and so on and so forth. And he talks about that when you start having that kind of thinking, like you're never going to be satisfied. You just want to be better. And I think that 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 is what motivates me. It's like I want to be better, and 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 my hero is me in ten years, and in ten years my hero is me in ten other years, right? Like every day, I just I want to accomplish more. I want to be better than I was yesterday, and that's just not me saying it. That's the reality. I, I truly believe in. It. That's what I would say. I that is my motivation. I just want to be better. Nice. That's a good one. Speaking of you in the future, we go to question number three. Think about 80-year-old you, 80-year-old Guido. What does he have to say of Guido of today? Feedback, advice, anything. Yeah, I would say start now. In that same interview, and I love this interview, if anybody ever wants to YouTube it, Matthew McConaughey, Motivation spe spe Speech, or I think that's what it's called. But in that same interview, you know, he talks about delayed gratification, right? If you could just delay, you know, everything that d delay the things you think you need now for the things that you can have in the future, you're going to be a lot happier in the future. Right. And I think, you know, in, in, in my experience, you know, I decided that that I was going to pause a lot of things that that I thought I wanted five years ago or, or 10 years ago. And I've been in this for a good 10 years now because I, I, I saw something in the future that I could do and I wanted to do and I'm passionate about real estate. I'm an analytics guy and a data guy and that's what kind of what I do. So I, you know, I told myself like, if we're going to do this, we got to start now because if five years passes, think about where you would have been if you started. And that was kind of what, you know, Matthew McConaughey was saying in delayed gratification, like 
like start now, like in five years, think about where you would be, right? So my 80-year-old self would have said, start now as soon as possible to my 21-year-old self. I don't know, probably wouldn't have said start, you know, <laughs> when I did, but a lot younger for sure. Nice. I appreciate that. Guido, thank you for joining us Absolutely. today. If folks want to get in touch, where can they track you down? Yeah, you can visit me at my website at www.thew2investor.com or look me up on Instagram at the W2Investor. Awesome. Well, thank you once Thanks, again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying this show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And we'll talk to you on the next one.